You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Okay, I am here with Reed Adelson. He is a restaurateur. I think he's the Jake LaMotta uh, from Raging Bull uh, restaurateur because he's been through it all. He's been through some financial problems, a huge fire, the pandemic. And like Jake LaMotta, he's still staring at Ray going, you did knock me down, Ray. He's still here. He's still working. Virginia's is doing really well. Reed, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Cool, cool, man. Uh, so... Um, why don't you give us uh, the beginning of how you got into uh, the restaurant business, and we always start there. Sure. I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do with life. I was pre-law. and By the way, the amount of pre-law or law students yeah. who dropped out of law. like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, right. father went to law school, grandfather went to law school. I had no idea what the hell I was going to school for. Right. Um, so it's pre-law. I um, I went to school in Tampa, which is certainly not at a gastronomic destination, but mm. has one gastronomic destination uh, there, Burn Steakhouse. Oh, sure. Famous wine list. Famous wine list. Yeah. So I wanted to learn about wine, right. um, which is why I got a job there during college, just mm. to learn about wine. And so what made you fall in love with food? Like, what's why the restaurant called? I've always loved food and restaurants, okay. but I never knew anything about, right. really about wine mm-hmm. uh, more than anything or how restaurants work. I just knew that I liked restaurants. Um, I had an appreciation for wine, but I knew absolutely nothing about wine. And really more than anything, I wanted to int- uh, impress girls when I went out to dinner by being <laughs> able to navigate a wine list, which I was completely unable to do. Right. I said, well, this, you know, I need a job. This place has a great wine list. Why don't I see if I can get a job there? Uh, I did. <clears throat> I liked it. Um, and I did a summer internship with a judge pre-law. Right. My, like, junior year. Before my junior year. And then I liked... You know, I really liked wine. I really liked Burns and everything like that. I said, you know, why don't I see if I am interested in this restaurant thing as a career? And I applied to about 20 restaurants all around the world, all Michelin, you know, Guy Savoie, uh, Per Se, uh, French Laundry. Nice. You were aiming hard. Gordon Ramsay. Wow. um, Danielle. Wow. Charlie Trotters. um, And I guess a handful of others. And the only one that responded for an unpaid front of house internship was Charlie Trotter's. Wow. And I went there and I did an internship. I remember it was like January, it was like negative 10 degrees. And they accepted me for an internship and I went there uh, the summer before my senior year and just, I had never worked like that. But I <laughs> fell in love with it. I guess I got the bug. Right. Uh, went there. I, I After the internship, I applied for a job. They offered me a job as like a glass polisher slash right. food runner. Worked my way up the ranks in Chicago, and then they moved me to Las Vegas to help uh, for my first management job in Las Vegas at Restaurant Charlie in the right. Palazzo. Hated Las Vegas, but learned a lot. <clears throat> so the restaurant business seems to be built on people who are just doing it because they're passionate. I've I interviewed now over 100 people, and I've got to say, like, most of them are just doing it because they just, it's work, hard work. Um, and um, it's hard work, but they... The, it just keeps them going 12, 14, 16 hours a day. 
um, it doesn't matter. And that's uh, so. It sounds like that's what you were doing. You just fell in love, found something you loved, and we're going for it. I don't know how much time we have for hmm? the interview, but a quick story about sure. that. Yeah, yeah. I was in Chicago for Charlie Trotter's twentieth anniversary party, um, and I was wow. driving. Okay. Part of my job after doing everything else was to drive the guest chefs home. So it was like three in the morning, and I'm in a car driving Thomas Keller and Danielle Blue home from the party, and you know they're talking to me, I'm talking to them, I'm asking, you know, what kind of advice do you have? I'm like 21. What kind of advice do you have for a young aspiring restaurateur? And they said, you know, if this is what you want to do, if this is what you're interested in, there's nothing else you can do. You, you, it's it's uh, it's not a it's a calling. It's you don't have a choice. You have I think to go calling calling is a good way to put. You it. have to go 150 percent, both feet in, all the way, right. or or not. Right. Um, and that just sort of that was your green book. That was your Viggo Mortensen so, movie I, where you you're know, in a car with somebody and it changes your life. And there are certainly times where I had wished that I'd gone into an easier field. Right. Um, certainly, owning your own place is is very demanding. Maybe. Uh, definitely a lot more than working for somebody else sure well but, you worked for some of the premier restaurant groups and restaurateurs in the city john george um la conda verde so right. the noho hospitality group yep. um great learning experiences both of them yeah very um, different but very good learning experiences right. so you put your head down so where's the aha like i want to open my own restaurant because your restaurant's on 11th street in alphabet city and you see i mean the goal right. getting in the restaurant business was always to own my own place or places right. my right. parents had a home and uh, lived in tribeca mm-hmm. for a long time up until 9 11 they moved out but uh, drew neaport myriad restaurant group was always a big sort of mm-hmm. somebody that i always looked up to i thought it was really cool it was like oh you own all these restaurants you can go from right. place to place little did i know how hard the work was but that was sort of something that i aspired to um mm-hmm. getting into it so after several years at La Conda Verde, I had been looking for spaces to do something and uh, the time was just sort of had come to move on from La Conda. and um, it's interesting after I left La Conda, I was doing some consulting sort of during the time looking for spaces because it's so hard to find a space in New York right. City um, and then I found this space on 11th and C which in hindsight, is a tough location, but it's the rent tough. was low and the right. risk was really low. Right. The startup costs were really low, um, and the rent was not so daunting hmm. compared to other, you right. know, the rent is low for a reason, it's 11th and C, but that was right. sort of the reason yeah. why I chose over there. I um, had multiple conversations with uh, different restaurateurs, uh, Mark Fujion being one of them, and others are just saying that the 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 rent is like landlords can afford to not rent their space because right. they get such a high tax credit. So if you take that tax credit away, particularly now post-pandemic, New York might see a revitalization and young chefs coming back to New York. I hope so. Um, because that's that's my hope as well. But the first thing thing they got to do is strike that tax credit mm-hmm. um, because you know they're it's it's empty. They get a tax credit, but it's, you're, you're talking about the people who aren't working in that building so it's payroll tax and then the right. the food and the, you know everything else i mean the supply chain is connected to that one restaurant it's it's insane the yeah, amount and of money the fabric of new york too yeah yeah good so it makes new york great right mm-hmm. it's like a it's such a cool uh, food city i remember years and years ago when i think it was the first Olive Garden or Chi Chi's or Chili's or something opened in New York, and I was just like, "Oh man, is that the beginning of the end?" Um, is when Times Square was being totally changed over, and all the old porn theaters were being put up as art studios. And I thought, the old New York would never, ever like allow. We would laugh at that place, uh, you know. Now, but now it's just uh, it's business, and uh, um, 
kind of bumps me out. Thank God the theater district is still there because it is the Great White Way still holds uh, the New York reputation strong. Uh, hopefully they're coming back. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, I'm hoping that yeah, a lot of young chefs come back or people can now afford to. Uh, to open restaurants like yours, uh, so you found this great restaurant, great space for with a, a low cost, and so then it also the, worked. Yeah. It also worked, right? right? Like there were a lot of spaces that we were looking at that were like, okay, well, we can put the bar over here, we can like move the kitchen there, we can knock down this. We didn't really have to do any of that hmm. for the space. What was it before? It was a it was like a burger beer place. Okay, they didn't have a liquor license. It just there was it was not pretty. Right. So okay. we had to completely sort of gut it, but we didn't have to break down any walls or, or move any electrical or plumbing, which are the big things. And the kitchen mm-hmm. stayed exactly the way it was, right. and the prep area downstairs was, was really sufficient. So the so I I, um, I said at the at the top of the show that there was a financial stress stress because yeah. I think it was the it was the opening menu which you've adjusted. I think yes. it was kind of ambitious or yeah. So I think the price point and the um, design of the menu was a little bit. Um, too unapproachable um, and less sort of bistro and neighborhood which is what it is now right so when we opened the restaurant they they gave us I don't know if they still do it um, but they gave us a, a, a calendar that said today is national banana day tomorrow's national ice cream day and then Wednesday right. is national hot dog day and they said right. you know you gotta. This was six years ago, so Instagram's different now. But they said, you know, you gotta participate in as many of these as possible. So, like, you know, we're doing a banana dessert, right? <laughs> to put a picture on Instagram, right. or whatever. Right. <clears throat> and then it was National Burger Day. So we're an American restaurant. We don't have a burger, which right. we should have. Mm-hmm. Um, we we made it for National Burger Day, and it was it was great, and it took off. But we didn't want to be known as a burger place because, right. you know, we were sort of more ambitious than that. Um, but the burger got a lot of press, I have to tell you. Burger got a lot of press, and in hindsight, yeah. 2020, I would have said, you know what, forget everything, we're doing the burger, this yeah. is it. Lots of restaurateurs have kind of acquiesced and said, you know what, yeah. know, fuck it, I'm putting a burger on. Um, yeah, I know more now than I did then. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and we fought it, and we said, yeah. you know, uh, we will do it only at the bar. Right. Okay, and now we'll do like a burger night on Monday. And then, like, Monday was busy, but the rest of the week was slow. And then, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we said, you know, what can we do to pivot? And the restaurant right. was just not doing well. Right. Uh, weekends were okay, but weekdays were just really, really slow. And people wanted the burger, and parties wanted the burger, and, and um, that just wasn't something that uh, was was something that, you know previous chefs had wanted to do sure. that had worked for me um, and I said well this is what we're going to do uh, so we designed a new sort of bistro menu centered around the burger with a little bit more of a uh, approachable price point and an approachable sort of menu that doesn't change and also our menu is changing daily see that's that's which smart is, which, which, right. which is very very difficult right. to manage in a small sure. place that's like you know I so, don't I have had two managers over the course of six years mm-hmm. for very limited amounts of time um, but really it's been mostly me with no real management support. Right. So to have to update the menu and, and, and all the logistics that come with that, you got to put it online. You got to change it online. You got to change That's the menu true. out front. You got to reprint. You have to do everything. It's it's a lot. It's involved. And then people come in for one item and you go, oh, you took yeah. the Vongole off? Yeah. Right. And it's, yeah. it's just not that kind of restaurant. Right. We're not a three-star Michelin restaurant that changes right. every day and has, you know, staff of 900 people mm-hmm. to do it. So, um, you know, we're still seasonal. 
Um, there's still seasonal items on the menu. The menu changes spring, summer, right. winter. Fall? And your partner is, uh, he's an ex per se no sous partner. chef? No partner? Okay. No. Okay. Um, Was a partner. We no, or? Opened with a oh. chef that didn't last very long. Mm. Uh, but no, okay. no, no partners. Mm. Um, but we have somebody in there great right now that, right. Um, you know, we, we have a good working relationship that, uh, you know, we're, we change up, you know, a third of the menu seasonally. And then maybe half the menu seasonally. So driven the by the market, what's available, basically? Yeah, yeah. and the rest of the Makes menu sense. is sort of yeah. uh, consistent. Right. The burger's not changing. The fries aren't changing. We have Brussels sprouts that are on all year round. And went like the first, the first the first we put them on in the fall, and it was right. like spring and summer. And we were about to change them because I'm, you know, I come from Charlie Charles. I'm like, I can't sell Brussels sprouts in right. <laughs> July. And then I'm talking to other fellow restaurateurs like, how, why not? It's your right. best selling side. Yeah. everybody loves it and nobody gives a shit yeah nobody cares true. yeah it's not like that anymore like sometimes you give the people what they want yeah right we're so not gonna sell we're not really selling like we're not selling corn and watermelon salad in december right but you know brussels right. sprouts is kind of sure so you make these adjustments you make your game seven adjustments your super bowl adjustments and then you yeah, start to be successful it and blast it out you know send out the email push on social right. um all of that and it, it, it really um Took a cool. turn for the better. Thank you, sir. So we are drinking not just not just the burger, but yeah. but the other menu items. Um, well, that's good. You know, also, risotto, a, a chicken with salsa verde. There, I'm convinced if you put, I mean, it's a it's a much bigger formula than as simple as this. But if you have good food and consistency, yeah. people find you. Particularly if it's a local neighborhood restaurant. Like I know my restaurants in the back of my hand. I go to my Gail and I will go. Hey, yeah, we're gonna go to you know we love Colony. We're gonna go to Colony. We, we uh, we're gonna go to you know uh, well, you know funny, this- that's that's that feel that you want. It's right. funny because the story is that when we opened the, you know, one of the initial drafts of the opening menu was pork chop with apple, chicken mm. with, you know, potato puree and, and, and whatever and like this and that. But with extremely good execution and, and the highest product, but our PR team who will go on unmentioned, I'm not trying to call anybody out, said, you right. know, you're over on Avenue C. You got to do something more inventive, more interesting than that. So we put out all these different menu uh, dishes and items and ingredients and they said this is good that's a better idea so it was like sweetbreads it was right. like morcia it was wow. mizuna salad with right. roasted and it was just like it was very very uh you know well, too 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 much for a place that's that small on avenue c and your food cost goes up crazy and then you and the labor your gp starts to, like yeah crazy. so your gp starts to drop uh so let's talk about this wine for a second we're drinking every drinking on the job uh I always match the wine to somebody who's on the show. So this is a really cool, interesting uh, winery. It's been around for about 15 generations. Uh, it's a Sebastian David Lisonet Rosé. It's Senso and a little bit of Cab Franc. He does these cool fermentations um, in concrete eggs. Um, and the wines are just like, speaking of watermelon, it's like watermelon and cherry and kind of salty, uh, juicy, juicy. I'm going to put it up on the website, the, the label and a picture of you. Uh, but anyway, cheers. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. All right, man. Uh, so then you change the menu and things start to gel and then a fire comes. Yeah. I don't know. I remember the fire, you... the fire was like either Christmas Eve. I was talking to somebody about it. It was right around Christmas. And I guess the changes of the menu happened about six months before. Um, and it's interesting. It wasn't it wasn't our restaurant. It was the restaurant next door. Right. Had a fire that came through. And I remember I was in Miami at the time because we usually close for about a week around Christmas. My right. folks live in Miami. <clears throat> and I'll never forget the text messages and then looking on camera. It was just like, it was just a nightmare. Oh, fuck. Um, yeah. So we were closed from Christmas until Valentine's Day. 
um, we reopened for Valentine's Day. We're packed. I remember Valentine's Day. It's like you, when you open a restaurant, you're kind of throwing things together. You, well, hopefully not, but finishing touches. It all comes together at the end. Right. When we were we we opened like three days before Valentine's Day, and the day that we were opening, we turned the gas on like 20 minutes before the first ga- guest got in there because it was wow. just like. <laughs> All deuces. By the way, restaurateurs hate Valentine's Day unless it's on a Monday night yeah. because it's a room full of deuces yeah. and the pressure to you know, make it a special night for everybody. It's just like, it's, it's the, I, it's right there at New Year's Eve for the worst night to go out. Yes. Right? From my standpoint. Um, but worse than New Year's Eve. Worse than New Year's yeah. Eve, yeah. Because it's all deuces. At least New Year's Eve you have. So I'll tell you a, a Valentine's Day story. I managed a restaurant called, called Rosemary's. Guy comes in. He's very nervous. He says, I'm going to propose to my fiance or my, my girlfriend uh, to marry me I'm like okay and he started talking about what to do with the ring and I was thinking first like oh my god what a fucking cheese ball like yeah. you know like what do you want to put the ring in the champagne glass mm-hmm. I'm like I was just like okay alright now I'm, well we have a number of things oh you know what? I'll just I'll just pop the ring out and, and do it and uh, during that evening she said no. Oh, no and he sat there drank her wine his wine and just kind of left and I was thinking I don't know how clueless you have to fucking be to take a woman out on Valentine's Day to propose to her and be that kind of disconnected that you don't think she's going to say take a walk. We've had many at Virginia's and luckily they've all really? been successful. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it's like how like how cheesy is it to begin with? And maybe that's why she said no. Like, you fucking kidding me? You're going to propose to me on Valentine's Day? You know? It's a flattering thing, though, to be at a, to, to own a place that people come to propose. Oh, so my God, cool yeah. Uh, of course. I mean, you get that call. You're like, oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I mean, because... As a restaurateur, uh, you build memories. Right. And to think that that person, if they're still married, like I am 26 years later, that they they will never, ever forget being right. at Virginia's. Of course. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, getting engaged there. So uh, so that's cool. The fire comes back on and you immediately start to... So the, the neighborhood embraced you. They missed you. We were in a good... We were trending in the right direction right. before the fire shut us down, which was frustrating because mm-hmm. it was, you know, going from the... the the bottom, we were we were in the right trajectory in all ways, and then, uh, yeah, luckily we we hit the ground running right after we reopened from the fire. Okay, and then you had the pandemic. How did you survive the pandemic, Jake Lamata? How did you survive? Uh, you didn't go down. Anybody, I don't think anybody <laughs> survives the pandemic unscathed. Yeah. I'm yeah, fortunate that yeah. um, my chef stayed with me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fantastic. I'm very very grateful that he stayed with me. I you know I I I reopened sooner than I probably would have liked to because a lot of uh, my staff wanted and needed the work. Right. Um, you know, if everybody was okay with the unemployment and the stimulus checks, and they were like, no, we're fine, I would have stayed closed longer. But, right. But they were kind of in a polite way saying like, you know, when are we going to reopen? That's again? interesting. Cause when are we going to reopen? Because like, they were right. making good money on unemployment. That's the issue right now. You cannot find staff or labor in... 24-year-old yeah, yeah. kids without any children or families are okay with that stimulus check. Yeah. People with kids and families, that's not really going to pay the bills. Yeah. Not when they're getting paid more. Before. That's true. So, you know, we reopened and we reopened with... Um, when we reopened, you couldn't do outdoor dining. It was just takeout and delivery. Yeah, right. We're not so. in a good location for that. Yeah. We reopened. I yeah. re- remember we did $500 and I was thrilled. Yeah. I was like, I didn't think we'd do anything. That's good. Um, yeah. And it was two guys, one in the back of the house and one in the front of the house, mm. just out of, we had these accordion doors that open. So they were just, you know, chalkboard menu, mm. five or six menu items. And then 
we added a couple tables illegally, um, and then like the next day they allowed outdoor dining. So we did like four tables and a fence. Right. And then <laughs> it was like six tables, and then it rained, and I don't know why I didn't think that you wouldn't be able to seat people outside. <laughs> just I just didn't know how long I didn't know what sure. how long it was going to last or when they were going to shut things down. So I didn't really want to invest that much into it. Sure, I've t- I've told this story. I've told it once already. I'll tell it again. This um, this is a testament to New Yorkers. I love New Yorkers for this. I have friends in Portland. I have friends in West Coast, and they're like we're just getting crushed. And I'm over in uh, Cobble Hill. I walk by Long Island College Bar. And it is seven degrees, and you're close enough to the water. The wind is whipping, and Freezing. every fucking table is full oh, yeah. with people drinking beer and cocktails. Yeah, never underestimate that's, New Yorkers. That's that's New York. They're like, no, no, we don't die. We're 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 going out. We have to be social. It's why I think that famous article with uh, uh, Seinfeld, and there was a big argument like New York's going to take a long time to come back. I disagreed from the start. I thought no way. You're underestimating New Yorkers. They need to be out. They need to socialize. It and, certainly um, looked bleak, but you can never bet against New York. Yeah, true. Exactly. So Look at the bounce a, back after September 11th. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. That September 11th, that December, uh, I was selling one at the time. I had the best month I've ever had. And the, yeah. the TA would probably cranked that month. Yeah. It probably one of the best months ever. Because it's a testament, again, to the people going, different set of circumstances, we're going to support the economy. Right. Uh, but I feel the same way, too. I think people want to support the economy, and they want to just get the fuck out. Yeah. They want to go out. It's funny. Everybody wanted to sit outside before. And now they're vaccinated. Nobody wants to sit outside. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. yeah. So we started with like four or five tables, and then ten tables, and thirty people, and now it's up to twenty-one tables outside, um, and a roof, and That's umbrellas, great. and the whole thing. Um, Department of Transportation recently made me take down half of my roof, but. That's okay. We still have the other half. Okay, yeah. Um, Lots of these outdoor structures are staying up. Yeah. Um, I know American Express backed a lot of them. Right. So Not like, little guys, though. Yeah, not the little guys. For right. the record. Yeah. I'll go on the record. <laughs> yeah. Call out Resi and American Express. Not the little guys. Yeah. No, they backed the big ones. Uh, the big I know ones. Charlie Bird. I know Carbone. Yeah, yeah. I know those, those, guys, those groups. Those guys will give endless money. And they too. built like bank cats with yeah. heaters under the seats and velvet curtains. I mean, they stepped it up. Yeah. Now, what, you know, what they had to do to do that, I don't know. But... That's a, that's for a totally different. Uh, I couldn't tell you because yeah. I reached out and they yeah. didn't respond. Yeah, like no, or they did. They did respond. They just said, "Yeah, sorry, no." Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, they said, "Avenue what?" Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so you you're you're doing well now. Yes. And with this, yeah, new- summertime's a little bit weird for us, but you know, July to late, you know, Memorial Day to to Labor Day is sort of up and down a little yeah. bit, and, and it will, you know, the whole city is aside from, you know prime prime locations yeah a lot of places sort of fall off a little bit in the summertime but we've been doing well um i see uh you know there's a reason why you were you and i are sitting up in wellfleet because it is the time to just get away we're sitting we're sitting in wellfleet yeah Yeah. 30 yards from the ocean so drinking great rosé life is good for the record virginia's is closed on mondays okay there you go going back on wednesday all right still working uh but you know what's what's uh (laughs) What's crazy is I do see like it's hard to get a reservation in New York City at, at some of the uh, yeah. restaurants that are, have opened now. Yes, um, it's a great sign. I think a lot of New Yorkers didn't go to Europe, so they're they're staying in New York. And music venues are back. City mm-hmm. wineries kicking again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of like great like, comedy clubs are open again. So there's lots of cool stuff that's happening um, in the city. I don't think the tourism is tour tourism is back. Uh, it will be soon. They're talking September for Broadway, but 
you know, hotels are at 30, 40% occupancy. I'm reading the Boston Globe. Yeah. And they said, uh, you know, the commute back into Boston is coming back live yes. and strong. And yeah. uh, they're expecting a full return by September. So uh, New York will do the same. Uh, and uh, things will change. What, uh, with all this kind of like shuffling around, and I do, I, I think everybody reinvented themselves uh-huh. after COVID. COVID. Are you looking for another space? Yeah. Um, working on something in the East Village. Mm-hmm. Um that sort of was very close to was actually in progress and then COVID killed it and now we're resuscitating it. Mm-hmm. So uh, from your standpoint, it's much just, more casual than Virginia's. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, cool. A bar. Yeah. That makes total sense. Right. Um, does it, do you find prices coming down or prices much different? Uh, now for looking at spaces. Estate? Yeah. No, no, not really. Down. Okay. So that's that's just uh, how about you know I'm always amazed. I know you're a New Yorker, and you and, and you know you love the restaurant business. I'm always amazed that people, I mean some people do like just like don't try to find another state or place to have another a restaurant or upstate. I'd love to. Or, I'd love to. I just it's it's hard, um, you know. And in hindsight, if I could have done it again, you know, I I probably would have done a better location with a little bit more foot traffic and more seats that yields right. more revenue. That can afford, you know, a real full-time manager. Right. Um, so it's hard for me to pull away so much from Virginia's. It's been six years, and just now I'm taking yeah. a little bit more time. And the off. only way to grow is you need to step back. But it's also one of those double-edged swords because uh, I had Josh Capon on, uh, yes, last week, and he was like, "You know, people come here to see me, right? And people come here to see you, yeah. Reed. They want to go to Virginia's. Go, oh, there's the owner, and like, yeah, he comes by, he Especially touches my table, and he says hello. That small, yeah." Um, it's hard to not be hands-on, which is why you got to hire great management. Which that's the issue right now. Right? But um, but I'd love to do something. I believe it or not, we was looking at something here on the Cape during the pandemic when I didn't know, like during while we were closed, when I didn't right. know what the hell was going to happen with Virginia's New York right. anything. Um, you know, there's something to be said. You and I were talking about Mystic earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. These guys, the 25th day or something. These guys own Grass and Bone and Nana's. They own a bunch of restaurants in Mystic, and they're always packed. Yeah. They're the only show in town. It's like, you can do well outside of the city. You don't yeah. just have to do the city to do well. Yeah. Sure, you can do well in the city, but it's also very hard and prohibitive well, and very, very competitive. And the staffing is very has become very difficult in New York City. Right. I think it's, I was just in San Francisco and L.A., same exact problem, yeah. they, the, the staffing issue. Um yeah, it's 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 kind of uh, kind of insane. So you're you're going to try to uh, expand uh, in that way. Um, let's talk about uh, something that I know I we you mentioned it in an article that uh, you like these QR codes. Um, yes, I love the QR yeah. code, but I, I have to um, unfortunately, I think um, go back to paper. Yeah, we've had a few complaints yeah um, so I th- I'm on the other side of the fence because I just can't stand them and let me tell you why can't stand QR codes I can't and the, and the reason why is more that do we need one more reason to be on our fucking phone like well, it's just like fair. It's, it takes it's, away from the romance a little bit it, there is no romance but I'm I mean, sitting there scrolling through I'll give you an example I was in San Francisco I went to the Angler the wine list has got to be 200 pages and I'm on my phone scrolling the, and I'm like beverage manager hello but here's the deal of paper but here's the deal at virginia's <laughs> right yeah. like we do have people that come in right. and will order an 80 dollar bottle of wine mm-hmm. and a 34 dollar steak mm-hmm. and uh you know 12 dollar appetizer and that's you know a good price per person sure but that's not the norm at virginia's right. the norm is you know every like 
a burger and a beer. Right. That's kind of the norm. Now there's everywhere in between, but like, it's very hard for us to, for me to consistently like print paper. Yeah, the Change paper's menus. expensive. Yeah. Um, it's it's annoying. It's a hassle. It's, it's one. There's got to be a better way to do it. Like maybe a projector system where you project it on the wall at the I don't restaurant know. at the at the at the bar that uh, hopefully will be opening uh, in the near future. We're going to do sort of the. Um, Chalkboard you know, or chalkboard kind yeah. of lettering thing that everybody can see. I love it. It's 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 a it's mm. sort of you know we don't Virginia's isn't designed in a way that we can have that. So right. for us the QR code has been. How about boxing? You have the ring girl, or it could be a ring person because we don't want. Well, like yeah. in like in Lyon, like in yeah. uh, uh, Provence or something, yeah. where they come in and they have the thing. They, so they put the thing, chalkboard yeah. right beside you. I like it's that more presents or, its own challenges. It but, does, but I like it's more organic. The the, the problem is like. I, I do feel this like uh, effect of like you, you, somebody's you know, you're having dinner with somebody and they go they're looking at the phone you're like you don't know if, I don't know if they're checking the Instagram or they're looking at the wine list for the next bottle and I think the the, the one thing that's lacking and I was hoping there was going to have to there'd be some rebound from this after COVID it's like man we miss human beings we miss you know looking them in the face we miss communicating with them and I would hope that we would slide away from the technology particularly after the zoom and doom era we just went through uh that i we could get back to like look each other in the eye and having conversations and i was hoping we missed it so much that maybe the phone wouldn't be so connected i, I hear you i'm a dreamer i agree with you and there is yeah. something romantic and, yeah. and more elegant about it um i just think that w- we are at a point in the life of virginia's where we're so casual and people hmm? for the most part are on the younger side, our demographic right. that like for the two complaints, is it really worth it to kill that many trees and go through the headache and uh, you know have to yeah. deal with it? But I'm going to do it because hmm. well, that's one, why I like one the complaint. One complaint is yeah. one complaint is too many complaints for me. So I'm yeah. going to print menus and so you the customers always right? No, okay. definitely not. <laughs> um, we had somebody complaining recently about the wine list um, that it wasn't interesting enough, which really kills me. Sure. Because, A, I think it's still interesting, sure. but yeah. when we opened, we were buying wine from 20 different vendors. Yeah. And it was a really interesting... I mean, Conrad Reddick did the wine list. He was right. the wine director at Charlie Trotter's and Alinea. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't... Yeah. For a small restaurant, that's yeah. a big pedigree. Right. So we had a really interesting, really broad-ranging, esoteric uh, wine list. But nobody bought anything other than Pinot Noir, Malbec, and Sauvignon Blanc. Right. So I fought it, fought it for so long, and it's like, what's the what's the point? Sure. So no. it's still interesting, you know. We still have a, a, a Mencia from Oregon. Yep, uh, from uh, Analemma. Which yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic. Couldn't be more yeah. interesting. Sure. And I don't think you're going to see it a lot of other small restaurants like that. But we're not yeah. going to carry Tanat from Tanat Uruguay. <laughs> When right. we yeah. when we hold on to a case for three years, yeah, no, it's just it just stupid. doesn't make yeah. sense. So like, I, I think the best thing to do is like maybe buy six bottles and do, have window dressing, and that's it. I, I think you're totally wrong. By the way, the whole wine world has been uh, it's turned upside down. I see restaurants opening now, and prior to COVID, would invest one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars in inventory so they could have burgundies and it's fifteen also champagnes. It's also yeah. management. It's difficult right. to buy from it, that many different people. It totally is, but but like they're not investing that money anymore, right? And anyone who has like 15 champagnes on their list when they sell three, the uh, you know, case of champagne is seven to a thousand, seven hundred to a thousand, four hundred to a thousand. Like to sit on the inventory, as you say, for a year, that doesn't make any good business sense. I think there's an awakening that's happened in the beverage world where people are like, no, no, let's rethink what we're doing here. And it needed it. 
it needed it badly because uh, I think, uh, as you know, inventory sitting on the floor downstairs is uh, it's going to sink some restaurants. Mm -hmm. So they need to save themselves. And I think this kind of new awakening has happened after COVID with yep. with wine in particular, which for me, I'm happy. I think it, it makes total sense. I, mm -hmm. I my I always tell people like I don't want to sell you something you can't sell. Right. Because I'm not making any money, right. and right, I right, need right, you right. to be successful. So let's figure this out. Yeah. Um, I think it's the difference between like a shitty wine salesperson and a good wine salesperson. Like I want you to be successful, not I have somebody, a boss telling me I got to dump this fucking wine on somebody. Right. Hey, how about Reed? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and believe me, I've been doing this a very long time. I have lots of salespeople I know. That's the mandate from their boss and their company. I need to sell this yeah. shitty wine. Yeah. Who are you going to dump it on? I see it all the time, and I'll call sometime beverage director and go like, I can't believe you bought that Chardonnay. You know they don't make Chardonnay. That's like their bullshit wine. They really are known for this, and they go, oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, but I look, um, I'll be in and have dinner when I get back <laughs> uh, from, from Wellfleet. I ran into you at Peasant. Yeah, that was a great uh, meal, too. It was a great meal. Uh, and uh, I was like, which kind of got this whole dialogue going again with us, which I'm super happy about. So we are at the part of the show where this is it. I was, this is it. This is it. Uh, you know, an angel came down and spoke to you and said, thank you for all your service, Reed. <laughs> but uh, it will be your last night here. Plan accordingly. Where? Working in restaurants? Uh, no, leaving the planet. <laughs> <laughs> leaving the planet. So I'll give you your last meal. I was about meal. to get excited. <laughs> right. I'll give you your last meal. All I'll right. give you your last drink. And I'll give you... What music you want to be listening to as your eyes close and you transfer onto a different plane? So, what are we eating? Um, I can't answer. There's only only one answer, right? I, can't, I love it. Right? I yeah. can't give two different... Oh, you can give two. I'll give you a first course, second course. How's that? All right. So... By the way, Josh Cape on the last guy. Yeah. Uh, Josh is loves food. He named nine things, and I, and he said, "Yeah, I'll probably be dead by the time I finish eating all this stuff." So, all right. So number one is yeah. like a bone-in ribeye with cream spinach and uh, potatoes with Vega Cecilia Unico. Okay, so food and Unico, yeah. nice. And Vega Cecilia Unico. Is okay. Just like, yeah, yeah. Doesn't get any better. Uh, with that steak pairing, um, unbelievable. But that's yeah. probably second. Probably first okay. is uh, somewhere in Japan. Uh, the best meal I ever had was at Sushi Kanesaka. Okay. Um, some really extravagant, over-the-top omakase with some really, really, really expensive sake. Okay. Which is I don't know enough about sake to tell you which one. All right. I just know that I absolutely love sake, and uh, there's got to be a copious amount. There's a, lots and lots and lots of really good sake with unbelievable. There are some sake grains that have been polished down to like 0 .01. Mm -hmm. uh, if people are listening, check out uh, Dean from Nagazawi's on the podcast. Uh, also has a, a killer uh, Instagram handle called Grand Cru Jew. But like, he is like hilariously funny. But the sake they sell at Nagazawa is exactly what you're talking about drinking. Give me all. So that. you do that and sushi. And I'm, I'm dying happy. Give me just like until I. Burst. Okay. All right. Um, Uni and Toro and just like I, all I'm of the same it. way. I'm a sushi sushi. And dude. lots and lots and lots and lots of sake. And I must also have freezing cold uh, Japanese beer in freezing cold glasses at the perfect temperature, okay. like they do at every single Japanese place in okay. Japan. All right. It's perfect. All right. That's cool. heaven for me. It doesn't and, get any better. And before we get to the piece of music, you do have to tell people what's a couple of places you love to eat that maybe is below the radar or you just love to go with your wife. You got a babysitter. You're like, I'm escaping. This is where we're going to go. Where do you go? Um, in New York or anywhere? In New York or anywhere. I'm sure. 
Uh, I mean, one of my favorite places in the world is uh, Al Forno in Providence, which isn't too far from us right oh, now. okay, cool. Um, we don't get there enough, but it's just fantastic. And for New Yorkers who are listening, like... For New Yorkers that are listening, um, well, I mean, I have to be loyal to my friends. So I guess, you know, Sal and Justin over at Bar Premi. Okay. Um, Eddie at Schilling. Okay. Um, and then uh, I really love Lama Inn. Um, Lama sounds great too, but okay. Lama Inn is just, I've never had a bad meal. I've never eaten. Oh, okay. And cool. the service is always great. And, Fantastic. And they're, they're wonderful there. And they're also good friends. They did a, a, a dinner with us at... Um, at Virginia's. Where oh, very cool. Right, well, and the great steakhouses. I mean, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> Keens and, and Smith and Wolensky. Yeah, I was just at Keens. Yeah. I love it's Keens. It's always great. The history of I Keens. I had a little bit crazy. too much uh, good wine the last time at Keens. Oh, my God. It's it's so easy to do because they have like great old vintages of Napa Cab mm-hmm. and like it's, it's a killer wine, this. And what piece of music are you listening to as you shuffle off? Probably either the Rolling Stones or, uh, or Bob Marley. Okay. Give me a Stone song. Uh, Paint It Black. Oh, okay. All right, cool. All right. Hey, man, uh, so how do people find you? Uh, VirginiasNYC.com. Great. Um, Virgi- at VirginiasNYC is uh, our Instagram. Cool. We're at 11th and C. We're closed on Mondays. We're open every other day. Um, Sweet. Come by. Have some beautiful wine that uh, <laughs> well curated between Thank myself and, and some of your colleagues. Yeah, some cool wine. Thank you. Cocktails and beer. And, yeah, you know. it's, a, it's a great place. Uh, uh, I love it. Recommend it highly. And I want to say thank you, Reed, for, for joining me in Wellfleet on my vacation to drink wine and chuck oysters and, uh, and be on the podcast. Thanks so much. Hi, man. Peace. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. Thank you.